0: Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so I'd like to get right at it. Later on, we'll meet Uzma Jalaluddin and Marissa Stapley, co-authors of a new book called Three Holidays and a Wedding. The story takes place in the year 2000 when Hanukkah, Christmas and Ramadan all overlapped. It follows two strangers who meet on a plane headed to Toronto, but due to the weather end up in a charming small town called Snow Falls with all the holiday spirit. We'll talk about that in just a little while. First though, let's get to know Tom Wilson. He's a Canadian music legend, famed storyteller and visual artist. Wilson's memoir, Beautiful Scars, reveals the impact of discovering his indigenous heritage after a chance encounter with a stranger caused him to question everything he had always known about his past. As a musician, he's won the Polaris Prize, Juno Awards, and has certified gold and platinum albums. His songwriting has seen his works recorded by and with artists such as Sarah McLachlan, Jason Isbell. Colin James, Lucinda Williams, Mavis Staples, as well as his own bands, Lee Harvey Osmond, Junkhouse, and the great Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. Today we talk about creativity, specifically around a new show called Amplify. Each episode features a different indigenous artist, and in this episode, Tom Wilson crafts a powerful song based on a famous painting by Métis artist Christy Belcourt. In conversation at a diner, these two artists explore their creative processes and sources of inspiration. You can find the show on APTN or streaming on APTN Lumi. Tom Wilson, join me via Zoom. Tell me a little bit about uh, the song. It's based on uh, a famous painting by a, a Métis artist named Christy Belcourt. So tell me what it was about the painting that, that influenced you and inspired you to write the song.
1: Well, even more than uh, the painting itself, it's the way Christy lives her life. Mm. Uh, such dignity and uh, intent. And uh, I know that uh, water is, a, uh, is a, a big cause that Christy applies herself to. Um, she uh, inspires us to consider water through her art, and um, more than anything, I find her to be uh, a soldier of love and somebody that is needed in our communities, in this world. Uh, so um, I, I chose her, uh, not only because I love the uh, actual work that she does, uh, the aesthetic of it, but also her intent. And uh, it's uh, uh, also uh, a a similar, similar thing that I'm looking for. I'm always looking for the intent in my work, you know, I'm always trying to identify that. We're inspired by things that we often don't have control over. We don't have control over what is moving us, but being able to look at other artists respect other artists and honor other artists is a good way to be able to look back at ourselves and uh, be able to see the thread of uh, inspiration that we uh, that, that runs
0: through us the idea of breaking down uh, the creative process though is a difficult one because as you say we don't really know what often inspires us it's it's the sum total of our lives it's the sum total of our interests i suppose but how do you see Inspiration being different than intent.
1: Oh well, uh, you know, sometimes we uh, we don't necessarily need uh, a pat on the head. Sometimes we just need a kick in the ass, and that boot, <laughs> and that boot that kicks us in the ass is inspiration. Um, it might come from uh, one line from uh, a book or uh, or a song, mm. or it might come from uh visiting a gallery and seeing someone else's work or just even opening up our computer and seeing an image that that moves us uh to the point you know part of um part of the artist's job and i talk about this all the time is uh opening the door of possibilities to the next person to walk through christy belcourt is one of those artists that does open up the door of possibilities i also reach back to an interview i did for uh, an art exhibit i was doing uh, about six years ago and i was on cbc uh q with tom powers and uh, he asked me uh at the, the end of the interview he asked me he says so what do you want people walking away from your art exhibit saying Mm. and it didn't take me like I mean it was just like that uh I said I want them to walk away saying I can do that and uh it's either you know we as artists uh or as people that create what wasn't there yesterday we we run into uh you know two groups of of people that say that it's either people say I could do that Right. right right Or people who are just uh who have uh swallowed your work so whole that it makes them want to go do that mm. that i can do that that it uh, opens up that door of possibilities and that's that's a, that's a big deal because we're in a world that uh, tells us uh, a lot of what we can't do and uh, we're in a world that uh, yells at each other and has stopped listening to one another.
0: You're listening to Tom Wilson on The Richard Krause Show. Find his episode of Amplify on APTN or streaming
1: on APTN Lumi. So art is something that is able to communicate uh, with us through all of that anger and all of that messy that this world has created for us to live in. Um, It's sometimes our only little bit of salvation. Um, and it deserves to be honored, and that's why, you know, I wrote A Thousand Summers for Christy Belcourt. I can draw a straight line back to two people that,
0: as you say, uh, inspired me to go on and and open that door of possibility for me. When you were first picking up an instrument, was there someone for you that uh, was that lightning rod?
1: Well, there still is. There still are those right lightning rods, you know. Um, and people that I go back to, because sometimes I forget that uh, I'm at liberty to do whatever it is I want. And there are artists, especially in, in, for me in music, uh, there's artists that do that, you know, and, and they're often the go-tos uh, for people, you know, the Bob Dylans and the Tom Waits. But let's just talk about those two for a minute, because uh, when I am a, completely at a loss, when I've forgotten, that uh I've been given the opportunity to do whatever I want to do that anything is possible i often go to uh bob dylan's things have changed mm. and uh tom waits uh going out west uh two songs that uh when i put them on uh the uh my apprehensions dissolve mm. um that just the playfulness in in stringing words together Often delivers uh, single moments that uh, paint a bigger picture, you know.
0: And I can't changed has such a great playfulness to it, and and it is a want to take dancing lessons, want to dress and drag, want to. uh, I'm just trying to think of the line that after that, but it's just so kind of wonderfully playful. The wordplay is amazing in it, and it is it it it
1: sets your mind to fire a little bit when you hear it yeah, but Jesus, you well, you know the song obviously better than I do. so you know, so it's it's done the same thing for you. So I'm glad that i'm uh, I'm glad I'm touching on something that resonates with you as strongly as it does with me. It's funny,, uh, I've been working with uh, with two people who are really inspiring. I've been writing and doing a little recording with uh, Tara Lightfoot and Daniel Lanois. Now, Lanois, I've been listening to for decades. Lanois, I've known since I was fifteen years old and the way uh whatever it is that he channels however he channels his inspiration comes out um, he phrases things and says things differently than you and i would almost awkwardly but in a way that's so poetic that uh we don't really pay attention to the awkwardness it introduces us to a new way of saying something in a way that we never would have said it partly because as a kid he was brought from Quebec to Hamilton, and he didn't have English. So he had to learn English. He had to kind of pick it up as he went along. Um, I, I find the same thing in my mother, who uh, grew up in Ganawage. she mixes uh, somehow her English with Mohawk and French, not the actual, um, uh, not the languages, but uh, how they are expressed. Right. So sometimes things are said backwards. I grew up around that my whole life. I think I grew up with uh, with a lot of natural poets, mm-hmm. you know, just because of uh, the, the breakdown of uh, how they reinterpreted uh, the English language to right. express themselves. It, it, it's it's fascinating. And, um, you know, if we listen to our uh, children or our grandchildren speak uh, so clearly and to the point Um, you know, that, that often uh, we, we should actually listen to kids a lot more, especially young kids, you know, young kids, um, they're, they're the true artists. We're all born artists is what we have to remember. We're all born painting freely, making up stories, dancing, singing, all that stuff comes to us naturally. And it all gets taken from us once we once we enter school mm-hmm. and once we're told that things have to be done in a certain way. And that's what the shame is. We work our entire lives to become artists, to become that three-year-old version of ourselves. That is where we want to be. And sometimes in those, you know, uh, you know, uh, you were able to quote that Dylan lyric way better than me. I think you must be a little younger than me because my old brain is not working as good. <laughs> but um, so uh, you know, I mean, I'm a little bit of a uh, a goldfish that way. That you know, I'll go and let back and listen to that song, and it'll be like the first time I ever heard it before, or I get to hear it a different way. You know, and I mean, that's uh, you know, a great good artists borrow, great artists steal. You know, so everything that we're hearing is uh, has been. Reinterpreted and uh stuck into a uh, canon mixed up, and the words come out in a new way. And that's like I say, how Lanois's brain works, that's how my mother's brain works is that you know, the typical way to express yourself is shaken up and thrown out on the table in a brand new way.
0: Let's talk about the show Amplify. How did you become involved with uh this
1: episode? The guy who uh who directed my, uh, the documentary on my book, Shane Belcourt, was doing this TV show. We had spent a lot of time together, and we, we're we brothers now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I love Shane, and uh, I trust him, and he asked me to be a part of this show. I mean, doing a documentary together, I mean, he was able to... Uh, go through the the doors of my mother's apartment with a box of donuts and a cup of coffee, and uh, and convince her that she should be a part of this film without actually trying to convince her, just being with her. He has uh, an approach that is uh, very convincing, and uh, I have a lot of confidence in uh, when he's in the room. So being a part of Amplify was easy, and being asked to um, write a song inspired by another artist. Um, from another discipline, Mm -hmm. uh, I immediately, not just because it's his sister, uh, because uh, I've been a great admirer of Christy Belcourt's work for for quite a while.
0: Uh, There's a quote here from you. Over the course of discovering my true identity, the intention of my writing, my music, and my art is to reduce the gap between my indigenous culture and colonialists who make Uh, to make a more patient, loving community. Um, And do you think sort of ultimately the conversation uh, about art and intention that happens on this episode of Amplify is a step toward that?
1: Well, I would hope so. Just, I mean, just seeing people talking and listening to one another, I think is inspiring Mm -hmm. uh, uh, to the world right now. As I said, and I I don't want to be a defeatist, but I, I mean, we are being our hearts are being squashed by uh by rude commentary and uh people yelling at one another Mm -hmm. we've we've lost the ability to hear someone else's point of view or we've lost the ability to accept that things can be uh the world can live a different way so a conversation Uh, that's that's the ultimate tool to change in this world my my work outside of my visual art and this song and this tv show is uh, to step on stages and to uh, invite people to engage in conversation Mm -hmm. not by uh, accusing and not by making people feel bad about themselves but by including them in subjects that they can take away. Sometimes people just gotta, you know, they just gotta know that it's actually okay to speak with each other about these things, you know? And uh, that's artists are probably the only people that have the ability to inspire that these days, because it's certainly not coming from churches or politicians or corporations. Um, It has to come from uh, hearts uh, that are pure than those three. Uh, institutions, Uh, hearts that uh, work independently, and uh, hearts that inspire good intentions, creating something positive that wasn't in the world yesterday, is the job of artists. Christy Belcourt is one of those. I'm working to be one of those. You're listening to Tom Wilson on The Richard Krauss Show. Find his
0: episode of Amplify on APTN or streaming on APTN Lumi. I think that movies that uh, show us a different point of view, that show us a different way of life are like little machines for empathy. Songwriting and uh, songs are the same thing. When you are being exposed to new ideas through songs that will stay in your head, lyrics that stick in your head. Those are little machines for empathy. And I think that that really displays the importance of art and tells us that uh, art is something to be treasured and not just simply taken for granted as something is just simply there to entertain us. Mm. Nothing wrong with just being entertained, but there's more to it than that.
1: Well, you know what? Uh, uh, we need to be entertained. You need to walk through the door somehow. If you walk through the door as an entertainer, you have the ability to uh, uh, say a whole lot more that, like I say, most other most other people can't. Politician walks through the door. You know what uh, you know what to expect. Uh, artist walks through the door. Uh, anything can happen. Sure. And, uh, living in a world that uh, anything is possible and anything can happen is uh, a lot more interesting than uh, being told how to live.
0: Your Mohawk uh, heritage is something that you've learned about fairly recently in your life. Tell me how it's changed, what an
1: impact it's had on your life. Yeah. Um, I've been telling this story, I can only tell one story. I only speak for myself. I don't speak for uh, my home territory. I do not speak for other nations. Um, I think that's what the problem is, is that uh, people who discover, uh, says to say, discover that they're indigenous, and there's plenty of people who are discovering this uh, from the 60s scoop. you know uh, uh the mistake is is trying to take on the entire world mm. the, uh, the gift that we have is to be able to tell our story our stories alone uh, are are inspiring the people and uh they're telling i'm I'm, t- I'm telling a story that wasn't there before for me i'm telling a story that um that other people see themselves in so my my job is, is to keep telling this story in many, as many ways as I can, through my visual art, through my um, exhibitions that I put together, uh, as an example, I put together an exhibition on residential schools, I built nine desks, and I burnt the uh, photographs of families into the tops of the desks, and as you move forward, uh, those images start to disappear, I included my great grandfather, Peter Lazar, in those images. Um, Uh, without uh, finding out that I was a Mohawk ten years ago, I never would have gotten to that. In fact, I wasn't taught anything about residential schools, were you? You know, oh, uh, no. I mean, uh, when I started talking about it, uh, people saying, "Oh my God, are you still talking about that?" Well, yes, I'm still talking about that because resident the last residential school closed in 1996. My mother, my mother was uh, uh, brought up in day residential school from the age of six. Uh, she was told to stand up in the class and look around the room at all the other children in the class because. Uh, The teacher told them that they were looking at the last Indians that this world was ever going to see. Um, My mother believed that. She carried that with her entire life. On her 80th birthday, we sat around a, uh, a table celebrating her, and she told us this story. And she told us this in front of me, her son, my kids, her grandchildren, and my grandsons her great grandsons so that's four generations of mohawks so um she doesn't stand as the last one of the last indians she stands as a survivor and uh, we're all survivors of this uh, country's greatest sin canada's attempt to wipe out the entire indigenous population is one of the grossest and most inhumane sagas in the history of the planet and the history of man beating the hell out of each other. So um, I get get to talk about this now. I get to say this uh, in a way that keeps the conversation going. And hopefully I inspire people to continue this conversation. As Norval Morisot said, if we don't tell our stories, who is? Nobody's going to tell
0: them. You've been listening to Tom Wilson on The Richard Krause Show. Find his episode of Amplify on APTN or streaming on APTN Lumi. In this segment I welcome Uzma Jalaluddin and Marissa Stapley, both internationally best-selling authors and now best-selling co-authors of the new romantic comedy novel Three Holidays and a Wedding. The story takes place in the year 2000 when Hanukkah, Christmas and Ramadan all overlap. It follows two strangers who meet on a plane headed to Toronto but due to weather end up in a charming small town with all the holiday spirit alternating between the perspectives of Miriam and anna you get a story about different cultures coming together unlikely friendships and two separate love stories uzma jalaladin and marissa stapley join me via zoom marissa i know that you have co-written before with someone um can you just describe the, the process of what it's like? Were you in the same room? Were you passing chapters back and forth via email? There's a lot of overlapping stories here, so I don't really understand how it works. So tell me uh, the process.
2: Well, I suppose we have Google Docs to thank for mm. making it a little more seamless than um, you know, a more old-fashioned way of doing yeah. it, which would emailing or even passing a notebook back and forth. Um, so we we had a Google document, which is what I've done with previous co-authors, um, which is kind of funny sometimes, right, Usma, Like, I'd be in there and I'd see words start disappearing. <laughs> and, and I'd think,
1: oh, she's really
2: good. Um, But most of the time, and we laugh about this, I'm a, an early bird and Usma's and a, a night owl. So mm. I'd get there in the morning and do my chapter. And Usma would, um, she was teaching full-time uh, at the time as an English teacher so she'd go in at night and we I think we I've heard a few people say man it must be like when you're like collaborating on a school project with someone and it is kind of like that which is why you have to be very careful about who you choose right you don't want to choose someone who's going to be a slacker and we aren't (laughs) (laughs) we're both very driven and um, and we had a lot of fun with it as well and uh, we kept up with each other and, and kept a certain pace and that's how it worked.
0: Yeah, Uzmo, tell me a little bit about that. So, you know, you you come in, you have a look at what uh, Marissa has written or vice versa. Did it take a little while to get over the idea that, hmm, I've got a better word we could use here? I could, I think I've got a, a different turn of phrase that I might want to use here.
3: You know what? As writers, I think we're always editing in our heads. Uh, sometimes, even when I'm reading other people's books, I'm like, I would have used, I would have taken out that gerund. Uh, and then just, you know, a little bit less of the passive voice. But no, Marissa is an excellent writer. Um, we're both very professional. And uh, the thing that that saved us was like a really good outline. Before we got started writing the book, we mm. collaborated also on a Google Doc. It was, it was, it started off life as a little synopsis that I think was ten pages long, right, Marissa, and and then we just really before we started writing. Writing, we just really jumped back in into it and uh, divided up by chapter. Um, I wrote the perspective of Mariam, my character, right. uh, the South Asian Muslim character, and Marissa wrote the perspective of Anna. So it was a little bit easier in that sense, like one chapter was Mariam's perspective, one chapter was Anna's perspective, and we went back and forth. But as to, um, you know, and we mostly just, like, I would write my chapter, Marissa would read it over, and we we had to kind of marry the two, make sure that Mm -hmm. the story were telling the same story. And, of course, our characters are in each other's chapters, so uh, we would have to massage that a little bit. But overall, I mean, it was... It was pretty smooth. I, I don't think there were any uh, issues really in terms of overwriting, rewriting. We were it was very collaborative actually. it, it was a it was a fun, very fun intense because we wrote it very quickly. Uh, it was a very fun and intense project.
0: Yeah. And how quickly? I mean, I, you know, I've uh, written a bunch of books. My longest one took three years to write. The shortest one I banged out in three weeks. So yeah, but uh, so there's, there's no rules for it really, but uh, how quickly is quick for
3: you to? I think it was six months, right? Was it less Mm -hmm. than that? Uh, Yeah,
2: I think so. Um, um, And again, like a little bit more time spent on the back end with that outline, which I think saved us a lot of time.
3: We talked
2: about how the deadlines for holiday romances, holiday books in general, are non-negotiable. Yeah. Right? You can't you can't be late because the holidays wait for no one. So,
3: <laughs> yeah. And and of course, pub- the publishing schedule is always way in advance. So we were we, this this book was basically put to bed in, I would say, last before last Christmas, for sure. And, yeah. and it, it just came out in October.
0: You're listening to Uzma Jalaluddin and Marissa Stapley on The Richard Krauss Show. Their new romantic comedy novel, Three Holidays and a Wedding, is available now wherever you buy fine books. The story takes place in the year 2000, which is significant because it's the year when Hanukkah, Christmas and Ramadan all overlapped. Uh, who was it that figured that out as a plot point? And is that where kind of the, the story uh, developed from from that point?
2: So that was, Uzma, that was like the origin of our story is we talked years ago. It feels like at least that was two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah film options for some of our books. Um, Ozma with Mindy Colling, I think too, and I had a few options and we were we were on the phone talking about our dreams about about this and how we'd love to write a screenplay. And Ozma said, you know, I've always had this idea. Did you know that in the year 2000, all these holidays fell at once and there were, you know, the grocery stores were empty of baking ingredients and the airports were jammed. And as she was speaking, I could just imagine this a story about, you know, these strangers stuck in an airport and all of the all of the fun holiday rom-com things that could happen. So time passed and and we finally decided to collaborate on a book instead. But it was Esma who who came up with this brilliant idea. And I was just lucky enough to um have her say yes when I was like, Can I jump on board? Can we be partners? <laughs>
0: And what are some of the challenges involved in uh, creating the treatment and creating a, a story or finding the story, I guess is the question.
3: You know when when we when I first had this idea, it was nothing more than I guess in film terms it's called a log line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the log line was you know uh, in a time when the three uh, monotheistic faiths all share hol- like major holidays together, you know what, what could possibly go wrong and uh, and then when Marissa came on board, uh, and I, Marissa, I always tell you this, you're so good at outlining. I think the the key to any novel is the characters right once you have mm. the characters down you can kind of follow them and see see where they are and for us I would think that um I think the setting of the small town where the most of the action takes place which is called Snow Falls is also uh, another character in the book and so having the characters and having the perfect setting that would fulfill like the requirements of everyone picking up a holiday rom-com you know you read it for the cozy vibes you read it for the uh the the joyful chaos of the holidays and then ours has that added dimension of uh, being set within like three very diverse holiday celebrations, not just Christmas. Uh, So the the challenge I think was first figuring out who those characters were, like really digging deep. Like I know for myself with Mariam, I was like, okay, so she's in her early 30s, um, who is this woman? You know, she has a, a big family. Uh she's the the eldest daughter in an immigrant family. And that I know, speaking as, as one myself, that comes with with its own baggage and <laughs> expectations. <laughs> uh so once we had those characters down, it was, you know, we, we just kind of let them loose on in this canvas that we'd created in this town. And it was uh after that, it flowed quite well.
2: There is a contract we've talked about, too, where between writers and their readers of romance, they Mm. expect things and and it's like you can use this template and get extremely creative, which we did, but you also know one thing that makes it, I will never say a book is easy, but maybe easier is, you know, you've got the happy ending, you've got, you know, and it's okay for every town to be called snowfalls too.
0: (laughs) This book is a, is a combination of, of cultural references, of traditions, of religious customs of the holidays. Tell me a little bit about finding the balance between all of that. Plus adding in all the elements that you were just talking about People have to fall in love. People have to have a happy ending. That's what they expect from a, from a romantic comedy like this. So tell me about finding the balance between all of that
2: well i think for it was certainly a learning experience for me i brought to the table my multi faith upbringing i had a jewish stepmother my stepfather was a, a christian minister and uh, we always celebrated both holidays but yeah. i didn't know i really knew very little about ramadan and eid yeah. and usma was just such a generous teacher she had a great sense of humor i fasted for a day and was completely ridiculous about it like i <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: to, you know but guiding me through that process um, Um, Because we needed to find that balance. Even though I wasn't writing the chapters from Mariam's perspective, this holiday was happening in the book. And then, you know, same for for Usma, like we needed to to share our memories and our traditions. And I think that was a beautiful part of the experience for me. And I think it, it really helped make the book something special
3: for me, one of the uh, the purposes, the, one of the reasons why I thought this would be a good idea is because personally, I love the holidays. I actually got married around Christmas. And so it's it's always, even though I don't celebrate Christmas, it's still a very joyful time for me. And, you know, I was born and raised in Canada. So I'm really familiar with kind of the service level Christian celebrations, uh, Christmas celebrations. And Marissa kind of filled in some of the details. Like I didn't know what a Yule log was, <laughs> you know, just like the little <laughs> things like that. I was like, what is a Yule log? I don't understand. Um, and at the, in the same way, I got to share some of the some of the joyful aspects of celebrating uh Ramadan, celebrating Eid, which are two like really pivotal uh, moments in the Muslim calendar. Uh and really this book is about representation. It's about uh showing the way that holidays are important to all people and the way and the the different the, the joy that we get from celebrating and learning about those holidays.
0: I often think of uh films and storytelling of whatever branch of it that it is, um, can be little machines for empathy, right? So the, it, when we get a, a look into, uh, a life that maybe we don't know that much about, we learn about yule logs, we learn about, you know, the various things that, that will come up in this book. Uh, but really ultimately what you see here in three holidays and a wedding is that it's really about. Celebrating things with your loved ones, celebrating these holidays with your loved ones. That's the commonality, that's the universality, I think, of all of this, which is the little machine for empathy that comes through in this story.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, I that's such it... a great way of putting it. Yeah, a machine for empathy. That's what every book is, that especially books like like this one, which are multi-faith.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: We, I think you're so absolutely right about that. And we have an epigraph, uh, a roomy epigraph at the beginning of the novel that talks about how it's all just one light, you know, shining on different walls and lack of education can lead people to to lack empathy and education doesn't have to be serious and sitting down in school. It actually can come from something as delightful and fun as a holiday romance, which is great.
0: And it's about self-discovery. It's about self-worth. And I suppose when you're writing a rom-com, those things are very important. I mean, it's supposed to be an uplifting experience, is it not?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think one of the one of the things about romance in general as a genre, which you know is the best-selling genre in in uh, publishing, mm-hmm. uh, is is that ultimately it is very hopeful. And because the readers know that there is a uh, happy ending almost guaranteed in every single book that calls (laughs) itself a romance. It's very important. It's a key ingredient Uh, because they know that there's a certain ending that's going to happen. I think it allows the the contract that Marissa was talking about allows readers to just have faith that even if we're going to tackle some tough subjects Mm -hmm. and parts of our book, you know, it is really fun and joyful, but there are some serious things that the book does deal with, such as grief, uh, such as family expectations. We know that in the end, there'll be some kind of a good payoff. So you're not going to be left at the last page feeling really depressed. You'll feel happy and joyful and included.
0: You're listening to Uzma Jalaluddin and Marissa Stapley on The Richard Krauss Show. Their new romantic comedy novel, Three Holidays and a Wedding, is available now, wherever you buy fine books. When I speak with authors of thriller novels, you know, there are these conventions that you kind of have to have. You have to give the audience the reader, enough information so that when they get to the final big reveal, they don't feel cheated. That like someone doesn't just pop up from a trapdoor in the floor and say, ha ha, I did it. And, you know, that you you didn't have a an opportunity to figure that out for yourself. So we talked about this just briefly, but tell me a little bit about what people expect. You say, you know, the happy ending, the love story, but there's more to it. It's a it's a larger feel that you're looking for, I think, when you write a book like this, isn't it?
2: Well, readers of rom-coms and romances are very familiar with the with the idea of tropes. So there are, hmm. you know, there's the trope of what we have with ours, fish out of water, Hollywood actor, um, the um, the prince wedding. who's
0: traveling incognito. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> uh, okay, childhood friends. We've got a lot in there, but there are some, like, for example, there's one called Insta Love that romance readers don't mm-hmm. always love. That's like people just fall in love with each other for no reason, like when they meet eyes across <laughs> the street. Um um, so that's the kind of thing I think, you know, we really needed to work on. Saif and Mariam have a past and they know each other from um, from their childhood and they know things about each other because of of this mm. shared past that makes their connection believable. And with Anna and Mariam, or Anna and um uh, Josh who also is named Chase in the book um which is you'll have to read to find out why they you know it is a little bit of an insta love scenario but you learn that they they also have this shared connection um and I, as Osma said the characterization and the delving into your characters is so important so if you know your characters as deeply as we knew them then we cr- we can create these convincing love stories but I think that's part of it everything else about this book aside we did create convincing love stories to to go with um with this incredible multi faith journey and yeah, I-
3: and, and the other thing about this book, uh, which I think a lot of rom-coms are kind of diving into now, is there's not just one type of love. It isn't just romantic love, but there's there's also this beautiful story of a of a friendship that sparks between Mariam and Anna, these two people who are so completely different, who come from two different cultures and faiths, uh, who live in different parts of the country, and yet they happen to have this um, spontaneous meeting on this plane. And though, just like in, in rom-com language, they kind of start off as enemies because they find each other extremely annoying mm. and, and then this beautiful friendship uh blossoms because of all this time that they spend together and they get to know each other as as people and respect each other as people and I, I think that's beautiful as well as of course the family love uh their mm. sisterly love there's uh an adorable grandfather uh, Mariam's grandfather is there he's a retired Bollywood director who is obsessed with romance and sees it everywhere <laughs> uh so there's all these like really cute adorable love stories and And that is also an equally important focus in in romance. You have the happily ever after for the the romantic love stories, but you also have a real focus on relationships. And that is the key in a romance.
0: UCLA did a recent study that said that millennials um, don't care as much about romantic love in their art, in their television shows, and in the movies they watch. They want to see people have platonic friendships.
2: Yeah, I think we are seeing that. I think we certainly did feel that. And Asma's right, we made that relationship, that sort of enemies to friends relationship, um, (laughs) have equal play. um, And I can see why. I mean, you're right. There there was an epidemic of loneliness. And I think also romances and rom-coms in general have become more modern. It's not about love being everything and saving the day. It, It actually can't necessarily. You do need to have your community. And community in this book is so important.
3: Yeah, definitely. I I mean, Mariam herself comes from a very large family and some of that family is traveling with her. And uh, you can really see the community that they have within their family, but the community they find in the town, which is so delightful, I think, for readers to, uh, to discover as well.
0: You've been listening to Uzma Jalaluddin and Marissa Stapley on The Richard Krauss Show. Their new romantic comedy, Three Holidays and a Wedding, is available now wherever you buy fine books. Big thanks to them. Also, a big thanks to Tom Wilson for stopping by. Find his episode of Amplify on APTN or streaming on APTN Lumi. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe, and stay weird.